Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, August 27th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, whatever will he say? By he, of course, I mean Jerome Powell. Today, the Fed chair will do his speech at the Jackson Hole Economic Forum, and everybody is waiting with bated breath to hear exactly what Powell has to say. Will he be dovish or will he be hawkish? Will he give us a hint as to when the Fed might start tapering its asset purchases? You know, this is the ultimate in open mouth operations. We are now at the point where a speech constitutes actual monetary policy. I guarantee you markets will move later today based on Powell's talk one way or the other. Um, If he's particularly hawkish, you're going to see gold sell off. Uh, you'll probably see stocks sell off. But if he kind of hedges a little bit, you might see uh, a little bit of... um, Uh, uh, buying in gold. The funny thing about all of this is that he's not going to actually do anything. And knowing Fed talk like I do, he, he probably won't say anything either, really. I mean, nothing clear. It's not like he's going to walk up to the podium and say, on October 3rd, we're going to roll back our asset purchases. I mean, I guess he could say that, but I'd be really surprised if he says anything specific. I think it's more likely that he'll him and Hall, and he'll talk about substantial progress, and pundits will spend the next several days trying to parse out the meaning in his words. And in all likelihood, six months from now, nobody will remember what Powell said today. Now, again, markets will move on this dog and pony show, but this is a prime example of style over substance. I posted an interview with Jim Grant over at shiftgold.com slash news. I'll link to it in the show notes page. He's one of my favorite financial analysts, and I love his way with words. And he pointed out that this Jackson Hole meeting has an official name, Macroeconomics in an Uneven Economy. Now, Grant offered a couple of alternative titles that I really like. How about Gasoline on House Fire? Or maybe Hose in Hurricane? The crazy thing here is everybody is on pins and needles about the possibility of a small taper in asset purchases, and nobody is really stopping to consider that right now, the Fed is engaged in the exact same extraordinary monetary policy that it launched back in March 2020 when the whole pandemic started. Now, they have rolled back some of the special programs, but by and large, when you look at quantitative easing, this is exactly the same as it was last year. Grant summed it up perfectly. He said, we have $120 billion a month in asset purchases in an economy that is bounding and running with good health, at least on the surface. The stock market is at all-time highs. We have a 4,000-year low in interest rates, and on and on. You wonder why is the Fed still in crisis mode? And then he went on to say, the biggest thing to me is the persistence of this unexamined premise. The Fed must be on full ahead flank speed at all times. Why do we need this? And that's really what is at issue here. What is the Fed chair going to say, not do? Say about the possibility of taking the smallest step back from crisis mode. I mean, we're not talking about normal monetary policy, right? 
Now, some of the more hawkish Fed presidents spoke in Jackson Hole yesterday, and they indicated that they're ready for the taper. Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan has been one of the most hawkish on the Fed board. Earlier this month, he even put a date on it saying the Fed should announce a quantitative easing taper in September and then begin slowing asset purchases in October, and, which I thought was kind of weird because if you're going to uh, announce it in September, but say you're going to announce it in September and August, aren't you really kind of announcing it in August? But anyway, <laughs> that's what he said. But interestingly, Last week, he was willing to reconsider his position in light of the Delta variant surge. So that's part of the reason that we had this rally in gold this week. We pushed back above $1,800 an ounce earlier in the week. Now, we're back a little bit below that level now. But, you know, suddenly everybody decided, well, the Fed might not taper. The thing is, and I talked about this last week, a little taper is not exactly earth-shattering, right? As Peter Schiff put it in his podcast this week, less loose monetary policy isn't tight monetary policy. We're not talking tight here. We're talking slightly less loose. They aren't about to end QE. They aren't about to raise interest rates. They're certainly not talking about shrinking the massive balance sheet. They're saying they might taper for a minute. And again, right now, this is just talk. Powell could come out today and give a pretty strong indication that tapering is going to start before the end of the year. But what if the stock market crashes on this anticipation? What if we get worse than expected jobs report next week? Will the Fed even follow through? I mean, if the entirety of the taper is talk, why does it, why does it mean anything to investors? So we'll see what Powell has to say today, but my advice is to keep your eye on the ball. What is the Fed really going to do? That's what really matters. What they are doing now is printing lots of money. What they are doing now is creating all kinds of inflation. What they are doing now is continuing in crisis mode. So we'll see what they talk about today and what they actually do tomorrow. Okay, so enough Fed talk. I thought I would talk a little bit today about gold more broadly as an investment. I mean, typically on the podcast, I talk about the economic news, talk a lot about the Fed, monetary policy, because I think that's the biggest driver for gold. But sometimes it's good to back up and talk big picture. I mean, why buy gold in the first place? Now, I know a lot of people don't really like gold. Some people, oddly enough, listen to this podcast and they don't like gold, or at least they pretend they're listening in the comments. But, you know, in fact, somebody actually commented on a past episode and said that gold is astrology for boomers. Now, I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean exactly, but I have to admit, I thought it was kind of funny. But the truth is, gold has a pretty solid track record as part of a long-term investment strategy. And I've said this over the last couple of weeks, that, that my outlook tends to be more long-term. I'm not looking at you know what's going to happen next week or next month. I'm not a day trader. I'm looking long-term. I'm looking toward my retirement, protecting my wealth. Now, this should be self-evident, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm not suggesting that you should put all of your money in gold. I'm a believer in diversification when it comes to investing. I think a 10% allocation to gold in a portfolio is a good start. Peter Schiff has always said 10 to 15%. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but most people are nowhere near that level. In fact, most portfolios have less than a 1% exposure to gold. And you might want to go higher than that 10 to 15% during inflationary periods, such as the one we're in now. 
Regardless, my point is gold and, and really silver as well are part of a broader investment strategy. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about gold and kind of the trajectory that it has taken. The World Gold Council just put out a report titled Gold, the Most Effective Commodity Investment. So I'm kind of uh, vamping off of that report a little bit. Obviously, it focuses primarily on gold uh, in relation to other commodities. But there is some really interesting data in the report that kind of reveals how gold has performed over time. Now, of course, gold is is weird. Um, it's generally lumped in with commodities. Investopedia defines a commodity as a basic good used in commerce that is interchangeable with other goods of the same type. Commodities are most often used as inputs in the production of other goods or services. The quality of a given commodity may differ slightly, but it is essentially uniform across producers. And that's all certainly true of gold. Gold certainly fits into this definition. It's an input for jewelry as well as industrial applications. Uh, It is uniform. You know, gold pulled out of a mine in South Africa is pretty much like gold pulled out of a mine in Peru. Uh, But more fundamentally, gold is a monetary metal, and that sets it apart from other commodities. You know, it's it's different from oil or, you know, even uh, other metals. In fact, one of the things that makes gold so valuable is that it has so many functions. Uh, Warren Buffett, you know, once said that it's a useless relic. It's, uh, you know, metal that you bury in the ground. And that's just ridiculous. Uh, There's all kinds of practical functions for gold. It would be valuable even if it wasn't money. It's a luxury item. People want to own it just for its beauty and decorative value. They want to wear it around their neck uh, or they want to have it on their wrist. And of course, it has all kinds of applications in industry, particularly in computers, electronics, increasingly in medicine. Uh, And as I said, it has functioned as money for thousands of years. But broadly speaking, gold is lumped in with commodities, so it makes a good place to kind of uh, do some comparisons. So according to the World Gold Council, gold is the most effective commodity investment and historically stands out from the broader commodity complex. And it gives six characteristics of gold that kind of make it stand out. One, it has delivered superior absolute and risk-adjusted returns to other commodities over multiple time horizons. It's a more effective diversifier than other commodities. It outperforms commodities in low inflation periods. It has lower volatility. It is a proven store of value, and it is highly liquid. So this is just some good reasons that gold is a strong investment option. It is particularly strong during inflationary periods, such as the one we're in now. It's always been considered an inflation hedge. The World Gold Council examined the performance of various assets during the last two periods of reflation. So, you know, CPI from trough to peak. And it compared this to the current environment. Quote, the results confirm the idea that assets like real estate investment trusts and treasury inflation protected securities were solid performers with commodities and gold performing well. Additionally, it confirms gold's meaningful outperformance over equities and bonds. Now, I think this is significant. Gold has performed broadly in line with the S&P 500 over the long term. It has yielded average annual returns of 10.8% since the elimination of the gold standard in 1971 and a compounded annual return of 7.9%. 
When compared to commodities, gold has outperformed not only broad-based indices, but sub-indices and most individual commodities as well. Nearly all sub-indices have fallen over the past five years, but gold has risen during that time. A lot of people like commodities during inflationary period, and, and that makes sense. More dollars chasing roughly the same amount of a commodity means that the price is going to rise. And of course, gold is no exception. Here's the key. In periods of low inflation, commodities delivered negative nominal returns, while gold posted positive returns, reflecting increased demand when economic conditions are robust. Now, I'm sure there are some folks out there that are thinking, well, Mike, we have inflation now. Gold is down. And a lot of commodities are doing way better than gold right now. And I actually had the same thought as I was reading through this report. And in fact, gold is down 10% compared more broadly to commodities. But according to World Gold Council analysts, historically, gold lags initially, but catches up to most major commodity groups by the second and third year of a reflationary period. So, you know, I guess if you believe the inflation is transitory narrative, you might not be so bullish on gold right now. But even if if price increases slow down, I think it's hard to make the case that it's going to just stop, that all of a sudden, you know, uh, this inflationary environment is going to disappear. As you know, I'm not buying into the transitory narrative. So when you look at a longer time horizon, gold has proven to be a solid investment. This is why I get a little testy when people look at six months or a year and then come at me with, oh, gold sucks, or you know they want to start yelling at me about Bitcoin. And I've said before, crypto can certainly be part of an investment strategy. If you're allocating 10 to 20% to gold, you've got plenty of money left to allocate to other things. Uh, I, I don't think Bitcoin is somehow proof that gold is a bad investment. And I certainly think it's a little bit ignorant just to say that gold is voodoo for boomers. If you look at things historically, gold has been a solid investment. It's been a solid part of a portfolio strategy, and uh, I think it's going to continue to do so. And if you want to learn more about this, of course, you can always talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metals specialist, and I'll give you the numbers and stuff at the end of the show. I want to touch on one more thing quickly before I wrap up the show. I ran across an interesting Facebook post the other day. The individual uh, was helping a friend uh, liquidate an estate. And this individual mentioned that he had a hard time selling some of the gold and silver coins that were in the collection. Uh, He specifically mentioned that there were really high premiums, and he also mentioned that uh, there was an extensive verification process necessary to actually get these coins sold. And as it turns out, these were collectible coins, often referred to as numismatic coins. Uh, So these are coins that are not only valued based on the metal, but they are also based on their collectible value. So there's this intangible value. They're rare uh, and, and collectible coins. And I think that this illustrates an important point when you're looking at gold and silver coins for investment purposes. I think it's wise to avoid numismatic coins if just investing and protecting your wealth is your goal. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with coin collecting. It can be a a, a fun and lucrative thing. But 
if you're looking at just investing in gold and silver, numismatic coins is not the way to go. You're going to pay higher premiums and you're going to have a more difficult time in liquidating these coins. It's harder to find buyers. You're always better off for investment purposes uh, buying gold and silver bullion coins from well-known mints. So I'm talking about American Eagles. I'm talking about Canadian Maple Leafs. I'm talking about uh, you know uh, South African Cougarans, coins like that. With these coins, you'll never have a question. They're we- they're recognized. They're based. Uh, the price is based solely on the price of the metal. So you know there's no speculating on value. There's no subjective kind of thing in this, and so it just makes a much better. Uh, investment choice to go with regular bullion coins. Now, there are some dealers that you will call and they will try to steal, uh, steer you toward these, steel is ironic here, they will steer you toward those numismatic coins because they stand to make more money by selling those because, again, the premiums are higher. Now, somebody mentioned, uh, I, I actually did a short video on this that I put on Facebook and Instagram, and somebody asked the question, well, can't you just sell these coins back to the dealer you bought them from? And, of course, you can do that, assuming that dealer is still in business and assuming you know where the coins came from. I mean, in this situation, it was an estate. So, you know, you may not know where your grandfather bought these coins. So, again, just in terms of what you're trying to do, if you're looking for investment metal, you're best off just going with plain bullion coins. If you want to get into collecting, that's you know that's a whole other thing altogether. So I wanted to touch on that. I think it's an important thing to understand if you're looking at gold investment. And of course, at Shift Gold, uh, we only sell gold and silver bullion coins. And if you're interested. If you are interested in gold as an investment, if you're interested in trying to figure out how gold might fit into your portfolio, if you're listening today and you're thinking, you know, maybe I do need to allocate a little bit more of my portfolio to gold and silver, call a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today, 1-888-GOLD-160. Shoot them an email at info at shiftgold.com. These guys are fantastic. Uh, they know their stuff and uh, they they will work with you individually. They'll look at your goals, your portfolio, and help you figure out how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So that is another gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to this podcast so you don't have to go hunting for it. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Uh, we're, of course, on the Shiftgold YouTube channel. Uh, links to these things, social media, all of that are on the show notes page. I thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you have a fantastic weekend, and I'll talk to you again next week.